Amen. So good to be in the house of the Lord this morning and so good to see all of you in God's house. Thank you for coming. Here's a little bit of humor for you. If Adam and Eve had been Cajuns, they would have eaten the snake instead of the apple and saved all of us a lot of trouble. It's so good to see you this morning. Thank you for being in God's house. I'm going to talk to you on something that's been in my spirit. I'm going to just share it with you today. I want to talk today about the tale of two groups. That's what I want to talk about. So the Lord help us today. Lord, help me to say what you have placed in my spirit. And may we receive your word in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. amen. You can be seated. In chapter 15 of Luke's gospel, Jesus is addressing two groups. The first group, they are the publicans, tax collectors, and sinners. They're evil, and they know it. The second group that the Lord is addressing is the Pharisees and scribes. They're evil. And they don't know it. Now, one group knows, group one, they know that they don't deserve Jesus. But they seek him out anyway. Group two, the Pharisee, the scribes, they really think that they're better than Jesus. Their attitude is, well, Jesus is better than the publican, but he's not as good as us Pharisees. And that was their attitude. Now, group one was always welcomed by Jesus. He never shooed them away. He never told them to move on. He never hurried on to his next event. But group two... You know, Jesus is kind of welcome, but really to group two, Jesus is more of a nuisance. But the same Jesus that eats with sinners also talks to the Pharisees. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is addressing both groups. And what he's about to do is he's about to tell them a story because he wants to sneak past their guarded hearts. And Jesus is about to take Luke chapter 15 and he's going to show them through a story the goodness of God Through the love of a shepherd, through the compassion of a woman, and through the heart of a father. And so I want you now to go to Luke chapter 15, and it starts in verse 1. 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they're grumbling and they're saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he starts telling them a parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he finds it, he puts it on his shoulder and he comes rejoicing and he calls his friends and his neighbors and he says, come to my house, rejoice. I want you to rejoice with me for I have found this sheep that was lost. Jesus is speaking again and he says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 righteous who need no repentance. Then he keeps telling this story because again, you got to understand his purpose. He's trying to get past their hard hearts. And so he says, let me tell you another story. He says, there's this woman. She has 10 silver coins. If she loses one coin, she She lights a lamp and she sweeps the house and she searches diligently until she finds it. And when she finds it, what does she do? She calls her friends and her neighbors, come over to my house. I want you to rejoice with me. Why? Because that which was lost is now found. Jesus still talking. He's letting them know how God thinks about it. He says, here it is. There is joy in heaven before the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Now, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin are basically the same story. God came to rescue and to restore that which was lost. And Jesus in this parable is letting us know that he is not waiting for the sheep to turn around and come back home. Do you know that sheep do not have an instinct like a dog or a cat? Did you know that sometimes you can maybe, well, let me say it like this. Your dog can perhaps wander from home and you're looking for it in a day or two, it shows back up because it can, it can make its way back home. A, a, a cat can do that as well. Though I don't hope cats find their way back home, but that's another story. But a dog and a cat have what's called like a homing instinct. They can find their way back home. But did you know a sheep doesn't have that? A sheep does not have an instinct that they can find their way back home. So literally, the shepherd has to go out and look for this sheep. And the shepherd does not drive this sheep. Because sheep are not driven. Sheep are led. And so this shepherd picks up this sheep and it 
puts it on its shoulder and it's singing as it's making its way back home because the sheep that was lost and had no way of finding its house, the shepherd loves it enough to go out and find it and restore it back to the fold. Isn't that beautiful? I, I just want to speak to your heart this morning. Here, here's, I want you to open your heart and I want you to receive this today. I don't know where all of you are at. Only God knows that. But if you're not in a safe place this morning, if you don't feel like that you're in a safe place, I'm going to tell you this. The shepherd is actively looking for you. If you're of the mindset, I don't know if this is true. I don't know if it's right. I don't know if it's real. I don't know if it's false. I don't know. I don't know just a whole lot right now. I'm a little confused. Well, the shepherd, ladies and gentlemen, that's what that oil is for. Because when, when, when flies get into the head of that sheep, the Bible says that he anoints my head with oil. Why does he do that? Because he doesn't want you just in the flock. He wants you healthy. He wants you healthy in your mind. He wants you healthy in your body. God wants you healthy in your spirit. And, and God knows that you can lose your way. But I'm, I'm just here not to scream at you, but to really tell you that if you don't kind of know which way is home or what is right or what is left, the shepherd is actively looking for you today. Why? Because he is willing He's willing to lead the 90 and 9 that are in the flock to come to the one that has lost its way. That's here. If I don't say anything else this morning, here's what I want you to get. You are so valuable to the shepherd that he'll leave the 90 and 9 and come out of his way to find you. And when he finds you, he's not going to beat you. He's not going to chastise you. He's not going to say, bad sheep, don't ever leave again. He's going to pick you up. He's going to put you around his neck. And he's going to start singing. He's going to start rejoicing. Because that's how valuable you are. But God's not just content on merely finding the lost one. He rejoices over its restoration. And when the coin and the sheep are safely in a good place, here's what heaven tells us. That all of heaven starts rejoicing when you're in a safe place. Now I can preach a long time this morning because my heart is full. But I want you to understand that sheep need to be in a flock. And sheep need a shepherd. Now, now the sinners and the tax collectors, they're hearing all this, okay? Don't forget who's around him. They're hearing all this, and they probably are smart enough to understand that Jesus is most likely referring to them. They were the lost sheep. They were the lost coin. And I don't know if Jesus was instructing the sinners that day as much as I think he was instructing the Pharisees and the scribes. 
Group one had been found by Jesus. Jesus was going to them. He was going to the tax collector's houses. He was going to the sinner's houses. But group two were still running from him. I hope this comes up on the screen because I want all of us to remember this. Pharisees knew the law, but they didn't know love. And all of us that have been in this a long time, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was eight. I'm 56. I've had it for a while. I've been in church for all of my life. I, I want to speak right now directly to those that have had the Holy Spirit for 10, 20, 50 years, whatever the case may be. Here's what I want you to understand, that when Jesus got upset, he got upset about one thing, and that was any time the Pharisees' rules got in the way of Jesus' love. It's not that we don't need rules, but it's not that rules change us so much. It's the love of God that changes our heart. You, you say, what do you mean by that? I can put a thousand signs out in the front from here to L2 can that says drive 45. But guess what? If that's not in your heart, you're going to do 50. A thousand signs that tell you to drive 45 doesn't mean you're going to do it. A thousand rules in this book doesn't mean you're going to obey the first one. But when you feel the love of the shepherd and you realize how valuable you are, to the shepherd, it starts changing you. You start realizing, you know what? I'm not junk. I'm not second rate. I'm not discard. I'm not trash. I'm made in his image. And he will leave, he will leave all the TPC to come find me because that's how valuable that I am to the shepherd. I want to keep speaking to us that have had this for a while. It's very easy if we're not careful that we can wear our Sunday best and have a Bible in our hand, but our hearts trust in our good deeds rather than in God's good grace. They were too full of themselves to be full of God. And the reason why we all need an altar, no matter if you're brand new this morning or if you've been a long time saint, you and I need an altar because we constantly have to empty ourselves of ourselves and remind ourselves that no matter what good we do, thank God for it, that doesn't merit the grace of God because the grace of God is unmerited favor. And none of us this morning, you may have come out of your mother's womb speaking in tongues. That's wonderful. That is a miracle. But listen, it does not matter if you did that. God still had to save you by his grace. You were still, you and I, the Bible says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've all messed up. We've all done things wrong. But God looks beyond that because he sees you as valuable and he wants to restore you back to a right place with him. Now, Jesus is talking to this group. And as I said before, they were too full of themselves to be full of God. And he was wanting them to know that you guys, you look good, but you're, you're still lost and you need to be found. 
But guess what? They didn't know that. That's called self-righteous. And Jesus was asking this group a simple question. Here it is. How far will God's grace go? How far will God's grace go? How far does his love stretch? How deep does his love plunge? Does it go to the worst sinner? The best Pharisee? The smartest scribe? Or the worst tax collector? How far will God's love go? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to answer that question. There is no depth. There is no breadth, no height, no length. You can't plumb the depths, the height, the breadth, and the length of God's love. And his arm is not short this morning, that it cannot pick you up. You say, Pastor, you don't know what I was doing yesterday. Just yesterday, you don't know what I was doing. No, I don't. But I know God knows what you were doing. And it doesn't deter him. He just keeps coming and he keeps looking. And I'm telling you, through this shepherd's voice, the voice of the chief shepherd is calling out. He's calling your name. Why? Because he wants you to come home. That's how valuable you are. Because God loves loves you. Now in this parable, the lost sheep doesn't know it's lost. It doesn't know it's lost. It has no inclination that it's lost. It's not even aware of the danger around it because it's a sheep and the coin, the coin doesn't have a mind. It can't think. It can't reason. The coin is stuck in the couch, but it doesn't know it's stuck in the couch. It's lost. It doesn't know that because it doesn't have reasoning abilities, but it's still lost. But just because it's lost doesn't mean it's not valuable. Just because it's lost its way doesn't mean that it doesn't have value. Are you with me? See, each is lost and each matters so much that the shepherd abandons the many and looks for the one. And the woman sweeps the whole house just to find the one coin. And all that matters is that the one is being restored. But it was not the sheep who stayed or the coins in the bank that caused the party. God is happy for all you sweet people that are saved. He is. He's excited. But you're saved. What gets him excited and what gets the angels excited and what gets heaven to have a party is the one this morning sitting on this pew that maybe is not exactly where they need to be with God. And that's what gets God happy when you say, God, man, I'm so amazed by your love. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I know with the help of the shepherd, he leads me beside still waters. He's going to restore my soul. Man, I want to preach this morning. I want you to remember this. Inch by inch, life's a cinch. Mile by mile, life's a trial. Quit trying to figure out how you're going to live for God and just say, God, if you'll help me, I'll make it tomorrow. And if you'll help me tomorrow, then we'll worry about Tuesday. And if you help me on Tuesday, well, then let's see what Wednesday has. But I'm not going to stress over it because the Lord is my shepherd. See, Here's something very sad. Here's something really sad. The scribes and the Pharisees don't know how to rejoice. Anytime you read through the scribes and the Pharisees, never have I. Now you can show me and I'll be open to it, but I haven't found it yet. Where scribes and Pharisees and rejoicing and joy go all together. Because they're more concerned about their rules than they are about people. They're more concerned about looking good than having a pure heart. 
So there's no joy in their salvation. And I've wondered why. Why is there very little joy in the Pentecostal ranks? And I'm not mad at anyone. I'm just making an observation. And the observation is, is because judgmentalism kills joy. Judgmentalism kills joy because now you have a certain bar and a standard that you think people should meet. And as soon as you check them out in a nanosecond, you make a judgment call. They don't meet my standard, so I don't have nothing to do with them. And God says that is self-righteous. And your self-righteousness is blocking people to coming to him. And then that gets God upset. And when they, the Pharisees, see sinners coming to Jesus, you know what they blame him for? They blame him for being too lenient. They blame him because they thought God was too gracious. He's too gracious. He's too lenient. Pastor Wayne is too lenient. He's too gracious. I'll take that if that's what you got to give me. But listen, when I stand before God, here's what I'm going to say. God, all I was trying to do was follow your example. That's all I was trying to do. Do I believe that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost? Yes, I do. Do I believe Jesus on the inside, working on the outside? Yes, I do. But I also believe that everybody's at a different place, but we're all trying to get to the same place. And if we can love one another, encourage one another, help one another, lift up one another's hands. Can I keep preaching? See, here, here's this very important thing. They miss, the Pharisees miss the wonder of his mercy because they thought they deserved the party because of their righteousness. Now, what about us? I'm going to ask again to us that's been in this a while. Is there a certain test? Is there a certain test that is designed by us, administered by us, and graded by us that one must pass before they can get into the kingdom of God? If so, if you answer yes to that question, I love you very much, but that's self-righteousness. The Pharisees and the scribes had such a test. Can you believe this? That the most perfect man who ever lived couldn't even pass their test. So now, here's group two. Jesus is now calling group two into account because their self-righteousness was aborting his restoration. Check this out. Luke 15, starting at 11. And he said, there was a man that had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me of the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided them to his livelihood. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property with reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. Verse 16. 
And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one would give him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to even be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran. In the ancient days, running for a wealthy man was a no-no because a wealthy Jewish man never ran. It was undignified. This man did not care if all of his neighbors saw him being undignified because he loved the son and he was so happy that he saw the son returning home that he put aside his dignity to show his love and his compassion and that father embraced him and he kissed him and the son said to the father I have sinned against heaven and I sinned against you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son but the father said to his servants bring quickly the best robe a robe represents royalty It represents dignity and put the signet ring on him that represents authority and put shoes on his feet. The slaves did not wear shoes, only sons and the upper crust and the wealthy wore shoes in that day. Shoes were a sign of status. He says, I'm going to put royalty back on you, son. I'm going to put authority back on your finger and I'm going to put status back on your feet because it doesn't matter to me what you've done. I'm just so thankful that you are returned home that I'll put my dignity aside verse 25 now the older brother was in the field and he came and he drew near this is very key he drew near the house and heard music and singing and he called one of his servants and he asked what these things meant and he said to him your younger brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf the wealthy kept a fatted calf for only special occasions this was a very special occasion because he had received him back safe and sound check this out but he was angry and refused to go in that is the last time that we see the son near the house, but he won't go in the house. He won't go in the house. And his father even came out and tried to coach him and entreat him. But he answered his father. This is very key. Look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured the property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And you and he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It's just fitting, son, that we should celebrate and make merry for this brother of yours that was dead is alive. He that was lost is now found. I need a few more minutes. Please stay with me. Here again, something is lost, but we gain a lot more insight. The loss of the younger son was no accident. It was willful. He sinned his way out of the house. But the story is not only about the son who left and came back. It's also about the son who stayed, became very angry, and never went back in. 
The younger brother basically said to his dad, here's what he says. I wish you were dead because you don't get an inheritance until your parents die. I wish you were dead. I want my share now and I'm leaving. And in the young man's view in this story, the world in his view would be far better if there were no rules, no authorities, and no other barriers to personal freedom. And that all rules, authority, and barriers to personal freedom would be either weakened or removed. And now I'm going to talk to all of us. All of us are guilty. We're never going to say this, but here's what we think. Why did God give us all these commandments? I mean, why did God give us all these commandments? I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest. Most of the commandments of God are against our nature. We, we don't, we don't like to do what God asks us to do. Let me give you an example. Um, this, this one on tithing. We don't like that. We think we work very hard for our money and we do. We don't like that command. You mean, God, you want me to give 10% of my money to the church? See, we don't like that. That goes against our grain. I understand it. I do. But here's what God is saying. God doesn't need your 10%. God owns it all. Then you say, Pastor, if God doesn't need my 10%, why is he asking? Because he's after the one thing he don't have, and that's your heart. Because the closest thing to your heart is your money. So he's really not after your money. He's just after your heart. And every time you give, you fight against greed. Because human nature is always about greed. What can I get from me? Here's another commandment. This goes, this goes to all of us. It's why can't I have SEX? Why, what's so wrong with SEX before marriage? What's so wrong with that? But yet God's command says, don't have S-E-X before marriage. Why is God saying that? Because what God is trying to do is to keep you and a lot of other people from having a broken heart. Because God knows what's going to break your heart. Here's another command we don't like. Do good to your enemies. Pray for them that despitefully use you. I know I may look cute this morning, but when I get angry, I don't look cute. And you don't either. Have you just ever, have you ever just flat out wanted to just knock somebody's block off? The rest of you are lying. You know why? Because that's human nature. You hit me what I want to do. I want to hit you back. That's just human nature. I don't want you to hit me and then I say, well, I pray for you, brother. I'm praying for you. Let me speak in tongues right now. I'm going to show you how. I ain't doing that. I'm like. I'm like. "Mm." Little things, you know, big things come in little packages, right? You know, whatever. I got to get away from that. But that's my human nature, right? That's my nature. That's your nature. Can you, can you, can you say amen? Well, what is God saying here? Just stay with me. John 15 and 11. Here's why God has given us those commandments. I have told you these things so that you can have the same joy I have. 
so that your joy can be the fullest possible. God is saying everything I put in this Bible is for your benefit. It's not because I'm some capricious bully. I know you better than you know yourself. I created you and I know what's going to hurt you. I know what's going to bring diseases on you. I know what's going to cause sicknesses. I know what's going to cause emotional instability. And I know what's going to cause you stress. And guess what? When you have joy, it's because you're doing it my way. But when you don't have joy, ladies and gentlemen, listen, I ain't mad at nobody. You can walk out of here and not do one thing I say. I'm not trying to make you think like I think. I'm just wanting to give you something to think about. Because every one of us, myself included, we all want to be our own God. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. I know best. I know best. I can do it my way. It's the old song. I did it my way. And fine, you can do it your way. The father never stopped the younger son from doing it his way. But when he did it his way, he finally came to himself. But he's not joyful. He's not happy. He's broke. He's eating less than what the pigs eat. Why? Because God loves you so much, ladies and gentlemen. He's more concerned about your salvation than he is your comfort. And if you will do it God's way, you can have joy. And if you're going to do it your way, you're going to wind up on a road to nowhere with nothing. Why? Because God loves you so much that he'll let you come to the end of yourself so you can come to yourself. Can I get a witness? Now... Here, here's, here, here, here's, the, here's the second way that we see to live in the scene in the older brother. Now, this is very important, and I'm going to wrap this up. The older brother did not give obedience out of love, but selfish obedience hoping to gain something through his good works. And the elder brother stayed close. He stayed close. He didn't leave. But listen, real close. This was a way of staying in control. And his unspoken demand is, I've never disobeyed you, Father. Now I need you to do what I want you to do. Here's what Jesus is teaching. Neither the younger son nor the elder brother loved the father for himself. They both were using the father for their own self-interest. Now, the older brother was more dignified. He would never do such dishonorable things as the younger brother. But that's not because he doesn't want the same thing the younger brother wants. Self-righteousness is just as wrong as sin. Here's a powerful statement. Self-righteousness is about control and manipulation. And Jesus, y'all remember this, please. Remember this, Jesus is all about love and release. And religion is all about control and manipulation. I know you don't like that statement and I don't either. But this is why the Pharisees had such a hard time with Jesus. Because he was about love and release. 
and they were about control and manipulation. I've done this. Now I'm going to ask you to do this. And here is a good story that's going to illustrate this point. Once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. He grew an enormous carrot. So he took it to the king and he said, my Lord, he said, This is the greatest carrot I've ever grown and probably ever will grow. And out of my love and out of my great respect for you, I want to give this as a token of my love to you. The king was touched and he discerned the man's heart. So he turned, the man turned and walked away. But the king said, wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours, and I'm going to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. And the gardener was amazed, and he was delighted, and he went home rejoicing. There was a nobleman in there that heard that whole thing that day, and here's what he thought. He thought, man, he said, if the king will do that for a carrot, what will he do for something way more valuable? So the next day, he brought a black stallion to the king. And he came before the king and he said, King, he said, I breed stallions. He said, this is my most beautiful stallion I've ever bred. It's probably going to be the nicest one that I ever will breed. He said, and I want to give this to you as a token of my love and respect. And the king took the horse and he said, thank you. And the nobleman was perplexed. And so the king said, let me explain something to you. Get this. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. What did I just say? I just said that the gardener wasn't giving the carrot to get more land. He was given it because he loved the king. But the nobleman was giving the horse because he thought he was going to get a greater return. This is very important. The elder brother was serving the father to serve himself. And here's what the elder brother would say. I pay my tithes. I come to church. I try to live a good life and I don't understand for the life of me why God hadn't healed me, why God hadn't blessed me, why God hasn't delivered me, why God hasn't come through for me. I just can't for the life of me understand it. And brothers and sisters, with all the love in my heart, I address all of you beautiful people and I want to remind all of us again. Salvation doesn't come by merit. Salvation comes by grace alone. And all of God's goodness that you'll ever receive from him, whether it's salvation, healing, blessings, favor, open doors, all of it is all because of his goodness and all because of his grace. Why? Because God's grace reaches to the lowest, dirtiest sin. And it also, his grace reaches all the way to the highest, ugliest self-righteousness. And the parable is telling us one thing. This whole parable, here, here it is in a jest, that God can clean anyone. From the self-righteous scoffer 
to the pigsty rebel. God's grace is sufficient for all our sins. Why? Because we're all sinners. But sin is deceitful. And you can dress sin up in a nice suit and put a Bible in its hand, but it's called self-righteousness. Or you can come here with pot on your breath and alcohol in your veins, and that does not deter God because it's His grace that's going to save the sinner and it's His grace that's going to save the self-righteous. Teenagers, I love you. I love you. I love this church. But I'm going to preach to you this morning that sin is deceptive. And sin will take you further than what you want to go and keep you longer than what you want to stay. And it'll paint a pretty picture, but I'll never forget all of my life. I'll never forget when I went and made a hospital call with my father. And I walked into the halls of a, of a, of a hospital in Houston. And I'm not making it up. I saw a bag of bones caught a man with a hole in his throat. And this was so long ago, you could still smoke in a building. And in the hole in his throat, he was sucking a cigarette as a bag of bones. He probably didn't weigh seven. 78 pounds. And I thought, oh my God, what will grip us? Addictions that will grip us under the vise of looking good and having a good time and having no rules and no authority and nobody's going to tell me what to do. And you can, you can live that life and God will allow you to live it. But I'm going to tell you something. At the end of it, when you get done with your parties and you get done with fun, it's fun for a season. And you get to the end and you find yourself worse off than everybody around you. Then I hope and pray that you hear this pastor's voice in the sound of your ear. And it's saying, come home, child. You are welcome back to this house. No matter what you you do no matter what you do it with no matter how long you do it please stand doesn't matter to this pastor what you've done who you've done it with or how long you've done it I'm going to tell you something we all like sheep have gone astray we all, here, here, here's what brought a party. And I know I preached a long time. Here's what's brought a party. Here it is. The son, number one, started returning. Number two, he started confessing. He couldn't even hardly get out of his mouth the confession. And the father restored him. That's how God thinks about you. He loves you so much that he wants to take those old rags off and give you his robe of righteousness. He wants to give you his authority, his name. He wants to give you his status as a son and as a daughter. All you got to do, you say, Pastor, what I got to do, just return. I'm not making light of, of, of tears. I believe in tears. I, I do. I'm not making light of tears. But in this particular story, there were no tears.
there was just a change of mind. I'm done with this. I'm ready to get back to the Father's house. Even if I got to be the servant, that's all right with me, a servant. I'm still going to be much better off a servant than I am out here doing it my way. Why don't you just make up in your mind this morning? Don't wait till next week. Your pastor, your shepherd that loves you. Why don't you make up in your mind this day? I'm going to make a decision and I'm going to start returning. I'm going to start coming back. I'm 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 going to get where I need to be. God loves you so much. Would you bow your heads? Father, I preached your word this morning. I've talked to your people from my heart. You're so beautiful, Jesus. How much you love us is just unfathomable.